Bro Workman, your host, CEO of Workman Success Systems, and I'm excited to have you all here today. Thanks for joining us. We have an incredible guest today. We have uh, not just a smart guy, but one of the smartest guys that I know when it comes to investment and really creating a significant net worth. I'm excited to welcome a good friend of mine, Joel Block. Joel, welcome and thank you for being with us today. Hey, Verl. Nice to, uh, nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So I, Joel and I have been in the same circles running around at real estate conferences and the National Speakers Association for, geez, I don't know, five or six years now. Joel, has it yeah. been yeah. maybe even more than that? For well, time flies, doesn't it? It, it, it but, does. But you know, no matter how fast you know, it's for all I'll tell you, no matter how fast it flies, you're still looking good. <laughs> I just fly slower over time. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, me too. <laughs> I, I like to say we don't get older; we just gain equity. That's my <laughs> sounds like a sounds like rationalization to me, but but I I, I like it. It, I like it totally it. is. So let me give everybody. Well, actually, you know, Joel, I can introduce you, but I would love you just to tell us a little bit about you. And your background, I think that's more interesting. So tell, well, tell us a little bit about where you come from. I've been in the uh, uh, venture capital and the hedge fund businesses doing real estate and, and other kinds of deals for really my entire career. I started the CPA business, uh, learned this business uh, as a young CPA doing tax work for guys that were doing deals. And I thought, I don't want to be a tax doer. I want to be a deal maker. And, and I left the uh, tax business and I just went out and figured out how to how to make deals, how to raise money, how to syndicate properties. And, uh, you know, several years ago, set up a hedge fund and, uh, you know, we buy distressed assets and, and that's what I've been doing mostly for, uh, for the last many years. I mean, you've also created and sold, uh, sold companies. Tell me about your selling you to a fortune 500, what that process was like. I, I started a Pricewaterhouse. I was there for a couple of years, started a real estate syndication firm, and, and real estate kind of started to, to go down starting like, let's say 1990. And I get a phone call from a guy in, in 1990 and somebody I'd, I'd known that I in college. And the guy says, hey, uh, can you help me learn the stock market? And I said, gee, yeah, happy to do it. Here's what you do. Write down some stocks. And uh, at the end of the week, we'll, uh, we'll talk about how they did. A couple of days later, the guy sends me a fax. Now, in 1990, fax was pretty new. He sends me this fax that had my stocks at the top, you know, my name at the top of the page, my stocks down the side, and the prices for the stocks that I had picked right next to them. And I thought it was kind of a cool thing. And then the second day I get it, and the third day I get it. And finally, I, I called the guy up and I said, what is this thing? This is, this is amazing. He said, you know, I put it in the computer just for fun. I thought it would save time. I said, I said this is amazing. Every investor in America is going to want to have this. And because I knew how to raise money and, and, and I had, you know, the skills, I, I said to him, uh, listen, this is a business. We have to do this together. I'll go out and get us some money. I want you to work on this full time. And, and I kind of spotted some money to get it going. I want you to work on this full time. And, uh, and so sure enough, I went out and I got $10 million uh, from a company who wanted to uh, participate in this. And I went to Wall Street and I sold them my idea and I got one of the biggest, uh, wirehouses on Wall Street uh, to write a check that was so big, the investor got all their cash back in six months. Wow. So, you know, listen, uh, you know, and, and that's, that, that's kind of how it started. And then I just traveled around the country and sold it to uh, newspaper companies who could run it. And I told them, this is going to replace your stock pages in the newspaper. And, and 35 of the biggest newspapers in the country did it. And it was, it was quite a ride. It's such a fun story, and it's great to have that on your resume when you're out raising capital. 
Well, you know, it, it, it serves me well in a lot of ways. But what it really says is that I was forward looking. Uh, we are talking what we are talking about is collapsing uh, the amount of time it took for somebody to get their information. So ordinarily, they would have had to wait till tomorrow to read the paper. But we collapsed it, uh, you know, to not till tomorrow, but like a half an hour for the markets closed. So we were able to get people their their stock prices within a half an hour, and and that just uh, you know that that collapse has continued to to happen where people want things faster and faster and faster, and and we were right at the forefront of that. All right, so Joe, just kind of a fun note, and I didn't know this about you, but uh, tell me about playing professional blackjack and what that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I don't even remember giving you uh, all this background information, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, when I was uh, about uh, 20, I went to a uh, blackjack seminar, you know, just, well, actually, I, I had learned to train my memory. I, I, I read some books <coughs> on having a trained memory, and I learned how to memorize a deck of cards, you know, where you could take out five cards out of a deck, and then I could look at the other 47 and tell you what was in your pocket. And, and that's, you know, I mean, that's not a trick. I mean, it's, it's a skill. And, and I, by the way, I can't do it now, by the way, because I'm, I'm out of practice. <laughs> But I thought, you know, if I could do that, I could probably play cards. I could probably play blackjack. And I went to a blackjack seminar and I met a guy and the guy said, uh, do you want to buy the seminar that you just attended? And I said, no, I'm not buying the seminar. I said, I, don't, I already know how to do it. He says, uh, well, what do, you, what do you mean you already know how? I said, I can already uh, count cards. He says, oh, really? How fast can you count a deck? I said, I can, you know, I can take out one card, look at the other uh, cards in the deck in 18 seconds. He said, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, for a beginner, he says, I do it in seven seconds. And I just, I was like, oh, this guy was my hero. He just became my hero, like in a second. And he took me under his wing and he taught me blackjack and uh, advanced strategies. And we were going to Vegas all the time. And uh, I wasn't even 21 years old. And, and you know, and, and truthfully, uh, I knew about myself. If I didn't stop playing blackjack, I probably would have dropped out of school. And it really would have taken my life in a bad direction. I mean, I just felt it, but it was, it was so exhilarating and fun and, uh, you know, and, and, and beating the casino is an amazing thing. And, and blackjack's a beatable game, but here's how they get you. Here's the trick is that it's only beatable by a tiny number of people. You have to really have a level of expertise that very, very few people are willing to achieve so if you're a casual player that learns a little bit about blackjack, you're still going to lose. But the few people that win are the people that get all the other people to come and lose. And it's, uh, it's an amazing phenomenon. I mean, did you actually win some money? Did you win some yeah, serious you know, money? I mean, listen, I was a kid. I had a very tiny bankroll, but I was on a team. And what would happen is that I would sit uh, you know, and play $5. And then the big man, and that's what the strategy was called. It was called the big man. Uh, you know, I'd give it when my table got hot and I, and the, I knew the cards were going to come out, we're going to go in our direction. I'd do a signal like I do like this. The big man would come over and he plunked down a thousand bucks. And then, you know, I would give him a signal, a hand signal on how to play the hands. And, and that's how that was played. You can't really do that so much because now that you can't enter, enter mid shoe and the other stuff. But uh, that was just, uh, you know, part of what we did. It was uh it was an exhilarating thing to be part of a team. It was incredible to play by yourself. But what was incredible, it was that I could learn a skill and, and activate the skill and do the thing and, and really make it work. And that was, 
uh, really kind of an early thing for me. And it was, uh, it, it proved a lot about my ability to learn and make something happen. This is just my real curiosity, but how have you applied the skills or the systems you've learned into business and business success? Well, believe it or not, I just I just added uh, a little segment about uh, blackjack into one of my keynote speeches, where oh, yeah? I teach an audience how to count a deck, because ultimately it's part of a system. You know that uh, you got fifty two uh, cards in a deck, but all fifty two cards are not equally important. There's really only, uh, you know, I call it, uh, you know, it takes two, and that's really you got to break the deck down so you're only keeping track of two things. And if you can keep track, because nobody keep track of 52 things, let alone when you multiply it by six decks or whatever it is. So, uh, but really in blackjack, you're only keeping track of two things. And if you can break it down into two things, everything else is simple. So really, I'm very, very good at rules of thumb and breaking things down into very small increments and, and very tiny little things like, uh, you know, this or that. And if you can break things down into very small increments and uh, and, and the rest, then, then it works out. And even though I have very good number sense and, and I was trained in numbers and all my stuff, uh, I use rules of thumb and I'm very, very quick. Because if I can come with it a thousand dollars or something, you know, it, on a millions of dollar type of situation, if I can use a rule of thumb and just kind of take a guess that gets me inside of a thousand bucks, I mean, that's as good as me sitting at a calculator all day long. So I, I love that. And I think it applies to just about everything. You know, we have a lot of, we do a lot of real estate teams. That's, that's our focus is helping, you know, real estate teams. And we focus on so many things and it becomes, no, you don't get good at any of it. But if we can break it down into one or two things, this or that, and if you're not doing this, you need to be doing that, then we get success a lot faster. That's a brilliant principle. I've never thought it in those terms. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll show you how it works one of these times. And, you know, the other thing is that sitting at a table where my job was to play the hands and bet $5. Uh, you know, and then give the signal to the big man when he would come over. Um, I had a job on that team and that job was incredibly important. And everybody on a team has an incredibly important job uh, because if you don't do your job, then the whole team is is going to underperform. And, and so every single person has to do the best they can to make the team the best they can. So if you're working with teams, that's a good message for teams. I love that. Okay. So Joel, when you get hired to speak, when people um, hire you to come in and talk to their audience, what is the, what is your favorite message? What is it you like to teach? I spent the majority of my life in the venture capital business. So even though I'm in real estate, I really, I always loved the venture business because venture is all about disruption and disruption is a funny thing. Uh, the, uh, the people in, uh, in the venture business and, and really venture capital, the real name for it is called innovation finance. Because what we do is we find ideas and we finance those things. And that's the business I really was in for a long time. And starting with my own deal that I invented, got funded. And then when I sold that company, I've funded and done other deals. And now I've got a fund and I just buy things and do things with it. But uh, I love to talk about disruption, strategies for disruption. And the thing about the disruption business, people in Silicon Valley, uh, they blow each other's companies up just for fun. I mean, they do it for sport. And, and there are companies out there and young people in garages are aiming torpedoes at these companies every day. And these companies have no idea what's about to happen to them. And, you know, my goal is to help these companies to wake up to what could be disruptive that other people are doing and what could be disruptive that they could do. And, and there are dozens of different strategies. And I'm working on a new book on this exact topic called Disrupt Your Competitor's Future. Uh, because I just believe that, that, you know, we all can play offense. We don't have to play defense. 
And that's, that's the core message. I, I have so many questions that go down that train of thought. And just even in my own, even in, even in my own business, you see so much, so much uh, disruption happening in the real estate vertical and all of the different types of business models that have come out there and what the consumer is demanding and what Zillow does to the marketplace. And I think of the dis- people that are legitimate disruptors uh, didn't start out being that way, but they've become you know, forces to be reckoned with. I will tell you that the uh, NAR and <clears throat> the uh, multiple listing service, which has done a great job for probably close to 100 years, uh, and they've fended off a lot of competitors over the last 25 years, I think they're finally starting to lose their grip. I, I think they really now, uh, Zillow has broken through. There's just, there's a lot of money. These venture funded companies, Coast, the CoStar deal now that's just happened uh, is really going to change the playing field. Uh, I don't think that it's going to disintermediate brokers. Brokers always are necessary. You, you, people always need help and they always need information and brokers are the ones that have that information. Uh, so I don't so much think that they're at risk. Uh the weaker ones will always be at risk. The weak one, the good ones will always survive and, and will always uh, do deals. Uh, you know, certain sectors, the commercial sector and industrial sector are probably going to be weak for a while here now, but the residential sectors are, are going to continue good. In fact, I, I actually think looking at this whole uh, pandemic problem, uh, I think there's going to be a tremendous migration from urban to suburban or even more remote suburban. So I think that the brokers who are working in those territories are probably going to be busier than ever. Uh, they it's funny you said grow. that. I just uh, I just finished interviewing a lady, uh, Julie Till out of Texas, that works on a lake, does lakefront property. She's had inventory that's been on the market for years, starting in May. We started getting multiple offers, and these lakefront properties have just sold out. It's she says it's nuts. She went from 220 homes last year to over 400 lakefront properties sold this year, and so well, that's a big. If you, stop, a, if, if you stop and think about it, yeah. There's so much unrest in the country that people want to go to places where there's not going to be so much. They want to go to places where there's not so much sprawl. Yeah. Uh, they want to go places where they can uh, be more relaxed. And by the way, uh, this digital uh, transformation, the whole remote thing, um, if, um, if we can work remote, uh, then maybe where we live isn't so important. So it changes the face of real estate. People continue to need real estate. Commercial is a totally different discussion. We can we can talk about that, but uh, because I make a lot of predictions, and I part of part of what I do is I look forward in time. But <clears throat> for the residential brokers, um, they will continue to be necessary, but I think they have to continue to be committed to upping their skills. You know, people who have weaker skills are going to be washed out. People with better skills are going to be more in demand and more necessary. And, you know, every, every uh, professional person has a uh, responsibility to continue up in the ante. I, you, you're speaking to the choir, right? It's uh, when you're good at the business, it attracts more business. When you're not good, you run out of friends and family and you go away. Well, let me tell you, one of the things that <laughs> we talk about is that money follows expertise. Yep. The better you are at something, the more money will follow you. And you have to be great at it. Now, you got to have a great personality. That's true. But there also has to be some, uh, some stake there. You can't be all sizzle. And you really, you know, are an empty suit. You really have to be able to, uh, you know, give people good, solid advice. Uh, and if you can't do all those things, then get on a team with people who can help you to do that. I think everybody should be on a team personally, because I think that when you have the combined intelligence of a group, you're better off and you can have expertise in different levels. Yeah, or areas. I'm, I'm 100% with you, 
Yeah. All right. So Joel, I'm thinking about, so one of the reasons I invited you on this today, and this has been in my mind for a long time, actually, I've been meaning to talk to you about this for a long time, but there's been this tremendous amount of influx of capital into real estate. You've got iBuyers, Zillow Offers, Open Door, OfferPad, all these companies that have gone out and raised Wall Street money. And then they're coming in and they're buying real estate at a discount because the consumer has spoken to the marketplace and said, hey, this, the process of selling a house is a hassle and I have equity in my property. Therefore, I'd rather just sell it quickly without the hassle and take a discount on it than try and retail it and maximize it and go through the hassle of doing it. And our real estate agents and our teams that are savvy and have a little bit of capital become their own best client. So they go into the house to list the property and they'll say, you know, you, I'll give you some options. Here's your Zillow offer. Here's your iBuyer offer, or I'll make you a local offer and we can buy it right now, or I'll put it on the market. You can retail. It doesn't matter to me. How would you like to move forward? And so, but a lot of agents don't have the ability or have the funds to be able to be their own iBuyer or have their own um, buying arm. And I'd like yeah. to talk to you about that. And how do we create that in this marketplace and serve our clients and, our, and give them the ability to do that at well, a higher level? Let, let me tell you that, um, about uh, 10 or 11 years ago, I got a call from an executive at Marks and Millichap, which is the, uh, they're the largest commercial broker in the country. And this executive said, listen, we, we found you on the internet. We know you're an expert in raising capital and setting up funds and doing these things. Would you come to a conference for us on how to raise capital to buy real estate? And we did this conference and uh, it turned into what is now our, uh, our uh, syndication hedge fund symposium. And basically, uh, we are the preeminent trainers of people who are real estate buyers. We don't teach them the real estate. We teach them the money. But I'm going to tell you, the money is not made in the real estate, by the way. And this may surprise people, especially people who are in the real estate business. But the money is not made in the real estate. The money is made in the money. Because if you control the money, you can buy all the real estate you want. And one of the problems that uh, brokers have is that they don't have, in most cases, the capital to really take advantage of everything that they know. Here's the irony. These are the people who know more about real estate than anybody. Right. And they really don't make hardly any money. They make a little nick on their on their uh, brokerage. Uh, you know, And that's not to uh, disparage anyone or anything else. But these are the people that have the most knowledge about what's going on in the marketplace. You would think that they would be buying real estate like crazy. But if they don't have the capital, they don't have the capital. So basically what we do is we help these guys that are doing fix and flips and even a lot of the people that run these TV shows. And we've had a lot of celebrity type guys come to us and we build their funds. We help them organize the structures that they need to go out and raise some capital. And we help them learn what the capital raising rules are. Uh, we set it up. We tell them how to find investors, how to talk to investors, how to get organized. Uh, and the people who've taken our programs, have uh, we've probably spawned uh, more than 100 funds and probably 150 syndications. And our people have raised probably close to a billion dollars. So we've put a lot of people in business. I mean, a lot of people are making a lot of dough. And, and I would tell these brokers, um, be your own client. You know, I mean, it's, it's an incredibly important concept. And here's the way that this works. Let's say you set up a fund and you get some investors. Each You, get, you go find, let's say, 10 people. Uh, each one puts in 100 grand. So they got a million dollars. Um, and you go and you find a property. Well, so the first thing that you got to do is you got to uh, have a broker. You got to hire a broker to uh, go buy the property because this is an LLC that you're buying for. Your fund is going to be an LLC. So you got to have a real estate broker. Well, what real estate broker should you have? Should you go in the yellow pages to find one? <laughs> no, you know, you're, if you're a real estate broker, you're probably going to be the best one 
for your deal, right? Because you've got all the deal flow and you build into your documents that you're the broker of record. And, you know, Verl, I know you're great at teaching people this, but I'm going to tell you something that, that even you can't teach them. And that is, so they lock down the property now, uh, they, they fix it, flip it, whatever, whatever their, their strategy is going to be. They fix it, they, they turn the rents on, whatever they do. And five years from now, they sell the property. Well, how would you like to have a listing agreement for sale five years in the future? Absolutely. If you're the broker of record, you know, that's it. You know, you're done. You've got a contract to sell that property. You're the buyer on the buy side now. You're on the sell side. And by the way, your real estate license is probably in most states going to let you be the property manager. If you're properly licensed, you can be the mortgage broker. Uh, you know, you can run the, uh, you can take a construction management fee for oversight. And, and the reason investors are okay with this is because they have to hire some real estate broker, might as well be you. They got to hire some mortgage broker, might as well be you. If you're, if you're properly qualified, competent, licensed or whatever, uh, if you're a GC, a general contractor, uh, if you're properly licensed and you're going to do the, the repair, why wouldn't they hire you? I mean, they gave you their money. They want you to do the best job. You have the best interest of the partnership uh, you know, at heart. They want you to uh, do the best you can. And by the way, they don't want you to run out of money. See, the difference between a syndication of fund and like a, a, like a one-off deal you do with somebody is the one-off person, they may want to take advantage of you, push you out of business so that they can take over your share. But the, the documents are so much more sophisticated in a syndication environment, they can't push you out of the way. The documents are too strong. And, and so uh, you just don't have a lot of the problems when you do it the right way. I'm going to tell you, I didn't make this up. I mean, this is what I learned at Pricewaterhouse as a youngster. This is the way that Wall Street does it. This business is 50 or 60 years old. Um, I'll tell you that uh, the IRS doesn't like it too much, but the Supreme Court of the United States has said that it's a legal business. Uh, they, the uh, legislators in Congress and the Senate, they all understand it. Uh, there's not a wealthy person in the United States that doesn't uh, understand how these deals work because they all invest in them. This is generally speaking uh, the way that wealthier people invest. It's called a private placement. You got two kinds of deals. You got public and the word place, by the way, means sell. So when you're selling a stock, you're placing the stock. That's where it comes from. So you got public ones, which is like AT&T and the other big stocks. And you got private. Well, you know, of course, wealthy people have their money in some uh, mutual funds or wherever they keep their money, but they also like these private deals. But a private deal needs a quarterback. Somebody has to run the deal. And it's not going to be the rich guy. The rich guy just wants to put the money in so that person can keep playing golf. But for us, it's an enormous opportunity to generate fees, uh, participation in profits, and everything else. Plus, uh, when you go in with a fund and you have the money, Who's buying at the lower price? If you go in and say, I'll give you a million bucks for the property, I'll be back in six months with the money. And I walk in and say, tell you what, I'll give you 800 grand, but I'll give you the money uh, within two weeks. You as the seller, you know, the seller's going to say, well, I, I don't want to take 800, but how about eight and a quarter? You know, and, and I'll beat you every single time and I'll save 175,000 bucks out of thin air just because I was ready. So those are some of the big points. You know, those are there. It's fascinating. It sounds a little bit complicated. How how hard is it for a small entrepreneur? Say you're a maybe a running a real estate team and you've got a little bit of capital, but not a ton to to create a fund like that. Well, it, creating the fund that's that's the part we help you with. I mean, we help right. you do it. You know, we we kind of show you how it works. It's it's a little bit of a different skill, but it it 
it leverages the core skill that you have of being an excellent deal sourcer. I mean, if, if you don't have real estate skills, uh, if you don't bring enough to the table, I, then I can't help you. And, and I screen everybody before we let them come in and get involved with us because uh, that's why our success rate is very high is because we don't uh, allow people who are beginners, junior wannabes to get involved with us. I mean, if you don't have enough, right. you don't bring enough uh, to the table, we, we just can't. And it's not a money thing. It's, it's that if you don't bring the deals and funny enough, there are a few other people that, that do what we do, that do these trainings and they'll call up and Joel, is it true that you turn people down? Well, you know, we do sometimes, you know, could we buy your turndowns? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, we can't buy our turndowns, but yeah, they're, more, <laughs> they're more likely to fail with someone else than with someone who actually cares about them. I'm curious for my listeners is like, if how many of you are actually interested in learning how to set up funds and how to, uh, how to actually raise capital so you can buy more real estate? I personally am, Joel. Like, I want to be more involved, but I want to have the buying power of more than just my, myself. I want to be able to have greater buying power. I think that with that grading buyer power, it creates different levels of opportunities. Well, you know, Verl, think about this. Um, this is a capitalistic society. You yeah. know, no single person has all the money that they need to do everything that they want to do. That's why corporations, uh, you know, are owned by thousands and thousands of people. They all put their money together. And then together, there's a quarterback, a CEO of a company, a board of directors, whatever. There's a, there's a group of people that are in charge of deploying the capital for many, many people. And that's the way our whole society works. So there's nothing new or unusual, or we didn't invent some new fangled crazy thing to do here. Uh, the fact that, that many of these people who've been real estate brokers that have been dancing around this, uh, they probably have clients that operate this way, but they may or may not even know that. So even if they don't, uh, even if they don't do it themselves, they should really understand how their clients operate because their client, you know, if, if somebody... Uh, ask you to reduce your commission. That might be because they're going to take an override as part of their deal. And it would be very valuable for you to know how these deals work on the inside. Uh, it's not near as complicated as it sounds. I mean, there's, there's some moving parts and there's some things that people are nervous about, but you know, it's like driving a car. When you're 14 or 15 years old, you're nervous. It's terribly scary. But you know what? You, you, you take a class, you take driving lessons, you practice with your folks when you're 15 years old. Uh, you go to the DMV when you're 16 and you, you take your test. And, and then by the time you're 17, you're shaving, putting on lipstick, you're combing your hair and you're, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, but you get so comfortable doing it that uh, no problem at all. Right. And that's very similar to this. It's, you know, of course, it's a new skill. It's a little bit scary at first, but I'll tell you what, the people who make the most money are the ones that are willing to stretch out of their comfort zone and do something a little different. Because imagine if you had a million, $3 million, $5 million of, uh, of money in the bank that you could just go and draw on and buy whenever you wanted. Uh, and, and by the way, these deals give the, the syndicator usually get discretion so they can pick what they want without having to go back and ask permission. Uh, and we build that all into the documents. It's all set up. And uh, this is a legitimate business that people understand. Dr. Smith uh, doesn't want you calling all the time, bothering uh, him or her because uh, he or she might be in surgery all the time, busy, and they want their money to work as hard as they do. Interesting. So th this, so I, I, I hope that uh, you don't mind the questions that I'm asking, but, because I feel like my personal curiosity translates to other people and how they're uh, how the questions that they might have. But one of the things that I'm seeing in the marketplace right now, in the market that we have, where we have limited inventory, and you brought this up, you said, okay, who's more likely to get the home? 
the FHA buyer that has an FHA appraisal and contingencies and all this stuff or a cash buyer that comes in and offers 99% of the value, even 100% of the ask price that can close in less than 30 days. And it's created an unfair, uh, an unfair marketplace to regular mom and pop, you know, first time home buyers, second time home buyers, move up buyers, because they're competing with the cash buyer that has the capital to go in and close quickly. How do we utilize some of the things or principles that you teach to put our buyers in a position of power when it comes to negotiating in a multiple offer situation where we have to wait for mortgages? Well, you know, let me, first let me tell you that I tell my children, uh, the concept of fair is sort of a kindergarten concept. <laughs> uh, it, it, it um, you know, as long as you're playing by the rules, uh, you know, there are people who are better organized than other people. They're just better organized. And if you've got the money in advance, that makes you better organized. Uh, there's nothing fair about uh, or unfair about being better organized than other people. So, you know, you really need to have your ducks in a row. If people need to buy with, uh, with debt, you know, make sure it's good debt that, uh, that works. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, uh, people who are coming in at the beginning, they're not the people that are going to get the very best deal. They're just, it's just, it's unfortunate, uh, but they're not. Uh, and they got to earn their way into the system. And, uh, you know, and that's just kind of how it goes. But, you know, listen, uh, you know, they'll get their day in, in the future and they'll, they'll get reorganized. So, um, you know, uh, it's, it's the way that it works. So how do, we, how do we become better prepared and serve our clients that don't have the ability to with capital? I mean, is there funds out there that will do short-term lending to allow people to get in and, and, and uh, be more competitive in a hot market like we're in right now? So well, you know, they, there are, but, but, you know, those kind of deals tend not to be very uh, cost-effective. Yeah. If you're, you know, I mean, if you need the money fast, uh, then they're gonna they're somehow gonna take it out of your hide in some way. Uh, that might mean that they require a bigger down payment. You know, I mean, the people you're talking about are probably coming coming in with a kind of a skinny down payment to begin with. Uh, they're needing a little bit of extra support from a bank, and those banks and are federally uh, overseen, and they need to have some. You know, right. I don't I don't really operate at the brokerage level, so I can't really help that. What I do is I teach people with those brokerage skills these top brokers that are really willing to, uh, you know, that, that really understand that they want to build wealth and not just make a living from brokerage. And, and these things are not mutually exclusive. They can do both. So, uh, you know, those people though, uh, I can help them uh, a lot. Uh, unfortunately, I can't really make them better brokers, but what I can do is I can help them see that their brokerage skills can be leveraged into something magical that they aren't doing right now. There's not a lot of wealth building that happens in the real estate industry by agents and brokers. They, they help other people build their own wealth. When they're done, they quietly go away off into the sunset without anything for retirement. So yeah. you're preaching to the choir. I, I, when you said, I think you should be your own best client, I say that all the time. And that if you're not buying real estate and you're not investing and you're not doing things to build real wealth, then all, you, all you've done is create a job for yourself. Well, but understand something. If you buy real estate with your own money, uh, you're not your own client because you're not charging brokerage fees. You're not charging mortgage, mortgage fees. You're not charging anything. When you use other people's money and you build a fund, now the fund is going to hire you to be their real estate broker. They're going to hire you to be all the other services that the fund needs uh, that you're capable of supplying. So I get where you're going with it, yeah. but to be very fair, uh, you know what I'm talking about is the real deal. And it really works that way. And that's, uh, 
you know, I mean, listen, Wall Street didn't create this methodology uh, because uh, it's inferior to how everybody else does it. I mean, they built the best methodology that there is. Uh, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been in this business for a long time. And, uh, you know, and I just, I share what I know with other people and uh, have helped a lot of people make a lot of dough. So give me a, give me some steps. Like, so if I were, if I wanted to start a fund or if I wanted to get serious about understanding more about this process, how do I do it? How do I, how do I get a hold of you? Where do I start? Let, let me, let me give you the first step. Believe, believe it or not, this is such a surprise what I'm going to tell you. The first step is take a piece of paper and at the top, write down a number, 1 million, 3 million, 5 million. If you had that much money in a, in a bank account, what would you do with it? And if the answer is, I don't know, this is not for you. But if you'd say, God, I have so much deal flow, I'd be buying these houses for a hundred grand. I'd be buying them every single week and I've got deal flow like crazy. I could chew up 2 million bucks so fast. Then, then you need to do this. This is something that, that you're the perfect person for it because you've got the deal flow, the motivation, the knowledge, the skill set. you've got the background, you know, and, and this is something that you need to really ponder so if that's the case, uh, we have this incredible library of materials uh, and people can access it in one of two ways. Uh, they can either text the word asset, A-S-S-E-T, uh, to, uh, to the town, they can text the to number 72,000. So seven, two and three zeros, the word asset. Or if they just prefer to just do email, they can go to uh, uh, syndicatefast.com sign up and they'll get our, our emails, our videos. They'll, they'll, you know, we're not going to spam you on, we don't sell all kinds of stuff. The only thing that we do is we help people build funds and show them how to raise money. That's it. And, and help them really get clear about how this works. And once people sign up for that, they can, there's a link to my calendar. Uh, they can uh, reach out to me and, and we can be in touch. So I, I love that. Now, what about just wanting to learn more and to understand more about the process? Are you, do you have a podcast? Do you have a book I can read? We have a video series that is, uh, that is quite remarkable. Our library, it's probably got 150 different videos. What, what happens is that uh, maybe like you, Verl, I'm not sure if you do this and you've heard me probably talk about this, but um, people writing questions, hey, Joel, what's the difference between a syndication and a fund? Hey, Joel, how much should we pay the investors? How do we do this? How do we do this? And I just answer them. And over the last couple of years, we've created 150 videos answering all sorts of questions from our people. And people literally, they literally binge watch these. They're, they're three to seven minutes long and they just turn them on and they just watch one after the next, after the next. And it's, uh, it's remarkable. But, and then when they come to our symposium or wherever, wherever we do, they just know a lot of the basic stuff that they didn't know before. I bet you're looking forward to having live symposiums again. Yeah, you know, we just we just finished um, a virtual one, and people really liked it. Apparently, it went very well. Uh, I enjoy it because I just like the camaraderie of getting together with people who are these these aren't students to me. These are these are peers. These are these are deal makers. They may not be as far along as maybe some other people, but these are people who I, I become friends with them. I mean, we we hang out together. We uh, we do stuff, and we end up with a lot in common. And and then people trade deals. They do deals together. It's it's a very high level environment. You know, one of the things that I have to just let our listeners know, Joel has been just a tremendous uh, inspiration, not only to me, but to so many other speakers. Uh, he leads a group of professional speakers that gets together once a week and we just kind of share ideas and we brainstorm and we talk about 
um, what we can do and how do we pivot during this crazy pandemic. Uh, most of these speakers, Joel, have made their living on stage. They get paid to speak to people. And when that spigot got turned off, there was a tremendous amount of fear. And I just have to, I just have to publicly thank you and let you know how much I appreciated all the insight and all the sharing and all the things that you brought together because it allowed me to make some significant changes in my business that have just been incredible this year. So thank you. Well, listen, everybody shares. You've been a great share of uh, the strategies that you've implemented and, and everybody's learned from you too. So thank you very much. So on behalf of Workman Success and our Workman Success family, Joel Block, thank you for being here. Bullseye Capital. Please check them out. Uh, download everything you can to learn everything you can about setting up your hedge funds. Let's see if we can go out there and create some real wealth, not just for ourselves, but for our heirs and our families. So thanks everybody. And thank you, Joel. Thanks for all. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.